1: to download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com/catholicclassics or text Confessions to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 45. Today we will be reading Book 11, chapters 7 through 14 in the Ascension edition of the book.
0: We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us to reach as many people as possible. And if you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com support.
1: Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. So in these chapters, St. Augustine begins by considering creation, and he does so by raising the question of time. Sometimes a line of questioning or reasoning that St. Augustine follows might Seem a bit complicated because he bounces between the relationship between past, present, and future, and also God's relationship to time, past, present, and future, and our relationship to time, past, present, and future. But here, the argument that he's trying to get at is the fact that God does not exist in time, that he's eternal and the creator of all things. So he's really establishing or affirming the fact that God is eternal, he's all knowing, he's all powerful, and from that, he creates from nothing or ex nihilo. So, Before we get into the readings and unpack that a bit, let's get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. Thus you call us to understand the word. He who is God with you, O God, spoken eternally, and through it all things are spoken eternally. For what was spoken was not spoken successfully, one word after another, so that each might be spoken in order. No, what was thus spoken was spoken eternally. Otherwise there would have been time and change, not true eternity nor true immortality. This I know, O my God, and give thanks to you. I know I confess to you, O Lord, and with me all who are not ungrateful to certain truth Know and bless you. We know, Lord, we know. For insofar as anything passes from existence into non-existence, or comes into existence from non-existence, it dies and rises. But your word neither follows after something nor gives way to something, for it is truly immortal and eternal. Therefore at once and eternally you say all that you say to the word who is co-eternal with you, and whatever you say shall be made is made, nor do you make it any other way than by speaking it into existence, and yet not all things that you make by speaking are made simultaneously or everlasting. Chapter 8 Why, I beseech you, O Lord my God, I somewhat see it, but I do not know how to express it, unless to say that whatever begins to exist and then ceases to be begins and ceases, when it is known in your eternal reason that it should begin or cease, though in this reason nothing begins or ceases. This is your word, which is also the beginning, because it also speaks unto us. Thus, in the gospel he speaks through the flesh, and this produced external sounds in the ears of his hearers, so that he might be believed and sought inwardly and be found in eternal truth where the good and only Master teaches all his disciples. Therefore, Lord, I hear your voice speaking to me, for he who teaches us speaks unto us. But he who does not teach us, even though he speaks, does not speak to us. Who now teaches us but the unchanging truth? For even when we are admonished through the changing creature, we are only led to the unchanging truth where we truly learn, while we stand and hear him, rejoicing because of the bridegroom's voice, restoring us to him from whom we receive our existence. Therefore he is the beginning, for unless he abided, he would not be there for us to return to him after we went astray. But when we return from error, we do so by knowing that we return, and in order for us to know this, he teaches us, for he is the beginning, and speaks to us. Chapter 9 In this beginning, O God, you made heaven and earth in your word, in your Son, in your power in your truth. Wondrously did you speak, and wondrously did you make. Who shall comprehend this? Who shall declare it? What is it that flashes through me and strikes my heart without wounding it, causing me to shudder and to be enkindled? I shudder inasmuch as I am unlike it, I am enkindled in much as I am like it. It is wisdom, wisdom's own self, that flashes through me, dividing the clouds that still hang over me, as I falter amid the darkness that weighs upon me through the weight of my punishment. For my strength is brought down in need, so that I cannot bear my blessings, until you, Lord, who have been so gracious with all my iniquities, will heal me from all my infirmities. For you shall also redeem my life from corruption and crown me with loving kindness and tender mercies, and shall satisfy my desire with good things. For my youth shall be renewed like an eagle's. For in hope we are saved, and therefore patiently await your promises. Let him who is able to do so inwardly hear you as you speak the words of your oracle, which I will boldly cry aloud. How wonderful are your works, O Lord, and wisdom you have made them all. This wisdom is the beginning, and in that beginning you have made heaven and earth. Chapter 10 behold though words that come from the old leaven spoken now to us what was God doing before he made heaven and earth for if he was not doing anything why did he not continue in the same state for if any new motion arose in God or some new act of will to make a creature which he had not yet made how then could we say that there was a true eternity in him if a new act of willing arises from non-being for the will of God is not a creature but instead exists before all creatures for nothing could be created unless the will of God God had come before that. Therefore, God's will belongs to his very substance, and if within God's substance something that had not existed were to arise, that substance could not be truly said to be eternal. But if God has willed from all eternity that creation should exist, why is not creation itself from eternity? CHAPTER Eleven All those who raise such a question do not yet understand you, O wisdom of God, light of souls, nor do they yet understand how it is that you have made all the things that have been made by you and in you. They strive to understand eternal realities, but their hearts flutter between things past and future, remaining unstable. Who shall hold and fix his heart so that it might be settled for a time and catch the glory of that ever-fixed eternity and compare it with times that are never fixed, thus seeing that it cannot be compared to them? So too would they see that a lengthy time can only become long through the passage of many motions which are not all prolonged together simultaneously so too would they see that in the eternal nothing passes and the whole is present whereas no time is present all at once and all past time is driven on by future time with all future time following upon the past Yes, all past and future time is created and flows from that which is ever present. Who shall hold the heart of man so that it may stand still and see how eternity, ever standing still, neither past nor to come, utters the times that are past and those that are to come? Can my hand do this, or can the hand of my mouth through speech bring about something so great? Chapter 12. Behold, I will answer him who asks, What did God do before he made heaven and earth? I do not respond like the man who is said to have responded in jest, eluding the pressure of the question he was preparing hell for people who pry into the mysteries. It is one thing to answer inquiries, but another to tease those who raise such questions. I will not answer like this, for I would rather answer I do not know when I do not know than to laugh at someone who asks such profound questions, while the person who answers falsely is praised. But I say that you, our God, are the creator of every creature, and if heaven and earth is understood to refer to all creatures, I boldly say that before God made heaven and earth he did not make anything, for if he made something, what else could he make but a creature? And how I wish I knew anything beneficial, that I desire to know, as surely as I know that no creature was made before any creature was made. Chapter 13 but if any mind were to flit about, considering all the image of times past, and marvel at the fact that you, God Almighty, all creating and all supporting, maker of heaven and earth for countless ages, refrained from undertaking so great a work before you would make it, let him awake and consider the fact that he is marveling at false conceits. From where could countless ages pass if you had not made them, you, the author and creator of all ages? Or what times could exist if they were not made by you? Or how could they pass by if they? never existed seeing then that you are the creator of all times if any time existed before you made heaven and earth why do they say that you refrained from working for you would have made that very time nor could times pass by before you made those very times but if there were no time before heaven and earth why do they ask what you then did for when there was no time there was no then Nor do you proceed time by time, otherwise you would not proceed all times, but you proceed all things past through the sublimity of an ever-present eternity, and you are superior to all future things because they are future, and when they come they too shall be past. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Your years neither come nor go, whereas ours both come and go, so that they all might come. Your years stand altogether, because they do indeed stand, and coming years shall not thrust them out, for they do not pass away. But all these days of ours will one day no longer be. Your years are one day, and this day does not pass like others, for it is today, for your today does not give way to tomorrow, nor does it follow upon yesterday." Your today is eternity. Therefore, you begot him who is co-eternal with you, to whom you said, Today I have begotten you. You have made all things, and before all times you are. And it was not in time that time was not. Chapter 14 Therefore, it was not during some period of time that you had not made anything, because time itself was something that you made. And no times are co-eternal with you, for you yourself abide. But if they were to abide they would not be time for what is time who can readily and briefly explain this who can even comprehend it in thought so as to utter a word about it but what do we talk about more regularly and knowingly than time we understand what we mean when we speak about it and we understand others when they talk about it what therefore is time if nobody asks me i know but if i wish to explain it to someone who asks me about it i find that i do not know what it is Yet I boldly say that I know that if nothing passed away, past time would not exist, and if nothing were going to come into being, future time would not exist either. And if nothing existed, neither would present time. But how do these two times, past and future, exist, seeing how the past does not now exist and the time to come has not yet come into being? But if the present were always to be present and never pass into time past, it would in fact not be time, but eternity. If present time, if it is indeed to be time, only comes into existence because it passes into time past, how can we say that this present exists, this present whose cause of being is the very fact that it shall no longer exist? Thus we find that we cannot truly say that time exists, except insofar as it is tending toward non-being. Okay, here we are, moving forward through book 11. Um, he, Augustine here begins, as we've heard, by distinguishing between what it means for God to speak as opposed to human speech, um, because remember that God speaks and he creates in the Genesis account of creation. So God speaking and creating, Augustine wants to make clear, it's not like human speech, but it's an eternal speech. It's not bound by time or doesn't follow successive syllables or words as we do when we speak, you know, one word after another, one syllable after another. You know, we could talk about what we've spoken about, what someone might speak, the present speaking none of that applies to god god is totally outside of time um, i think it's an important point here that augustine's making to establish and reestablish and reaffirm that god isn't bound by that so Father gregory thoughts on god speaking god's speech and creation what augustine's doing here
0: yeah it's a little bit of a tongue twister mind bender to try to envision what non-time-bound speech might mean I thought that one of the better artistic representations of this in the past several years is the movie Arrival in which, let's see, Amy Adams is the protagonist and she's trying to figure out how these visitors to the earth, uh, these aliens speak. And in coming to discover their speech is not time bound in the way that our speech is time bound, her mentality begins to kind of jump between past, present, and future in a nonlinear way. So it's in coming to know how these aliens speak, she comes to appreciate how they think, which is to appreciate how they are, how they live. And I think that Augustine is challenging us to think with the mind of Christ, uh, which is to say to lay hold of the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ and permit him to draw us further up and further in to the divine mind itself. And so our Lord knows all things and knowing himself. And so there's no before, during, or after, but it's just a kind of perpetual presence of himself to himself. And so, yeah, I think that again, it's going to be a mind bending and thought-provoking, which are, which are good things in the present situation, because it's going to help us to sympathize yet more perfectly with the divine creative intent without introducing into it certain errors of our own conceiving.
1: Yeah, and here too, as Father Gregory mentioned, and as St. Augustine is, is pointing out, you know, God being outside of time, that when the scriptures say, in the beginning, he makes this point that in the beginning is a reference to God's Eternal presence, you know, that it's not an appointed time to which God is subject, but shows to us that there is just with God with respect to time. So in the beginning refers to the beginning of time, but not to God beginning, that sort of thing. I think it's a that might be a little obvious to us, but St. Augustine, you know, he's covering all his bases here, so he wants to make that known. So what we're taking as we're going forward is that God in no way is bound by time. Time is something that is introduced when something's created and God is outside of creation. Time is a sort of measurement of motion. God is perfect, unchanging, these sort of things. So even when the scriptures tell us that God speaks, it's not a speaking in time. It's not a speaking as we speak with one syllable or one word after another. He he simply exists outside of that. I say he simply exists it's it's not a simple concept to grasp as Father Gregory was explaining, but I guess that's the best we can do, but we're going to keep unpacking it. So Augustine then turns his attention to creation and the act of creating, not as some new motion in God that implies a past, but he, again, God, he reaffirms that God is an eternal present. So for God, there isn't a time that there was no creation or that there will be no creation because there is no past or future in God. He simply is. So what we want to avoid here and what Augustine is trying to avoid here is the idea that creation or creating somehow changes or implies that God is bound in that time and that creation. Does that make sense, Felagra? Do you have a little more to say on it or expand on that a bit?
0: And I think this helps us to appreciate our own created state because at the end of the day, creation isn't just a point at which God decides that all created things are to be, or that certain created things are to be with an eye towards further created things, which are to be. Creation is a relationship of dependence, whereby we look to God for our being and for our acting, and that's an ongoing phenomenon in our life. And so when we understand creation, we have an easier time of understanding the act of creation, whereby you know creation comes to be. And here we can say of God, you know, there's no, there's no point at which he changes his mind, but yet God can, in knowing himself and in loving himself, provide for the created dispensation without introducing any, any novelty into the divine life itself. So what do I mean by that is this, that God can provide for change without himself changing, or God can know himself and love himself in such a way as to afford for a certain dynamism in creatures, which are limited or particular instances of the divine being, and yet himself transcend or kind of fly above the changes which we experience in the here and now. So we've we've harped on this point a little bit, that eternity isn't just having an endless past and an endless future. It means to possess oneself wholly and entirely. And we cited that definition from St. Severinus Boethius, who will come maybe like 100 years after Augustine, who says that eternity is the whole and simultaneous possession of endless life. So you think about God as embracing the whole of his divine life. None of his divine life escapes him at present. And as a result of which, there's no sense in speaking of past and future with God because he holds himself together in himself in this now, this standing now, which encompasses the whole of his life, which encompasses the whole of our life. Um, so again, a little bit mind bending, uh, even tongue twisting, and yet it's necessary for, necessary for us to kind of think through these things at least a little bit so as to challenge our limited conceptions uh, and mature them a bit into the mind of God himself.
1: One of the things that St. Augustine will do in, in this book is explain why the past and the future don't exist. Um, we'll get to it, but it may be worth saying a word on this, and it's simply because, or I keep saying simply, it's not a simple thing, but it's, it's because, you know, the past is no longer, so it doesn't have existence. We might have a memory of it, and the future is not yet, so it doesn't exist yet, though we might be able to predict or expect. Um, so the present exists, and if the past and the future don't exist, Remember, God is perfect existence. He possesses all of his existence. Then there is no past or future. God couldn't possibly have a past or a future. So we're just reiterating with St. Augustine that who God is, the properties of God, coming to know him. So it's it's this question of this relationship of past and future that Augustine considers in the in the last chapters of of this section of our reading today. So Augustine, he admits. As we've admitted ourselves, St. Augustine seems unsure about these things, about the relationship, about our relationship to past, our relationship to future. He says that he can understand time in as much as he lives in it but he can't give a good explanation of it. That when he tries to get beyond the sort of immediate experience of living in time and trying to put that into words, it becomes difficult. Um, his conclusion here is that the only thing we can say about the existence of time is that it tends towards non-being, which is kind of like, uh, what does that mean? Well, simply what I just explained, that the future doesn't yet exist, so we're moving towards the future, towards something that isn't, but more importantly and more to the point that the past doesn't exist it's a past it's a memory so this will raise questions as we move forward is then okay so how do we engage with the past because we clearly remember the past and the past influences us though it doesn't have existence anymore Um, but that it tends towards the past time moves towards the past so yeah Father Gregory, some final thoughts on saint augustine's inability here but also his kind of conclusion of of where time is tending
0: yeah i think the best modern meditation on this particular theme that I've come across is T.S. Eliot's poem, The Four Quartets, either poem or four poems. Um, he divides it into four sections, which are entitled Burnt Norton, East Coker, The Dry Ages, and Little Gidding. And it's a pretty profound meditation on time. And one of the impressions with which you leave the poem is that time can't be encapsulated or summarized. It just can simply be suffered, endured, lived, as it were. Perhaps that last word is most appropriate insofar as it's less kind of dramatic, uh, even melodramatic. But still, the the point of the poem is that we as human beings are meant to come to the knowledge and love of God in and through time, not despite time, as it were, but as this kind of creature, as this type of nature, as, as bearing out a nature of this particular sort, it's going to be in and through time that we learn that we grow, that we heal, that we are purified, empowered, emboldened, however you wanna speak of it, um, in our identity and mission as creatures, and as Christians, which is frustrating for us because I think that sometimes we're tempted to the life of God or to the life of angels, even to the life of beasts, which we've talked about previously. But but St. Augustine is meditating on time insofar as he wants to square our experience with life, with our you know openness to conversion, our interpretation of the sacred scriptures, and just in general, a kind of receptivity to revelation and grace, which is the only thing this side of eternity that gives us genuine hope. Because otherwise, we're in this terrible position of either homeostasis or tending unto nothing. Because if there is something to be salvaged in our experience, it has to be salvaged by God who gives it to be and who gives it to to tend unto him. So I think that um, even if we don't understand everything that he says here about time, it's good to challenge our understanding of it. um, And it's good to push back against some of our you know excesses and defects of imagination so that way we can discipline our speech and this is just the type of thing that we see in our creeds like when you're trying to explain what the trinity is and use all these different images like it's like a shamrock or it's like a sun and it's light and it's heat or it's like you know in every instance you're going to have some error or you're going to have some excess or defect introduced by the image and so we have to discipline our speech and then profess the creedal belief that the church has enshrined in the apostles creed or in the Niceno Constant, the constantinopolitan creed i can never pronounce that second half of that second word regardless you know because it's these concepts which mediate our contact with the realities which is where saint augustine continues to return here so yeah i think it's all super helpful for our own meditation and for our own ongoing perfection
1: great well tomorrow we're going to pick up with with chapter 15 and carry on journey with augustine through this meditation on time so In the meantime, uh, no pun intended, uh, no of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics.